On the news line with us now, Dr. Anthony Ragusi, a psychologist at Evangelical Community Hospital. Good morning. Thanks for calling in today. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. Always a pleasure to be on the show. When we are talking about COVID-19 with a lot of the pandemic behind us, what are we talking about when we talk about long-haul mental implications? Let's talk about that first for the whole population, most of whom didn't get the disease. You know, these are kind of new terms that, that we're kind of defining on the fly. I think that long haul was originally meant to describe the kinds of medical, cognitive, and emotional consequences that were directly related to the, the virus itself. But there has been some movement that I've noticed in applying the term more generally to just people who have been through COVID-19 for the last year and sort of implying that, that we've all experienced some damage from this pandemic that may have lasting consequences for all of us. So it's not a clinical term, really, and, and its definition changes a little bit, time goes on. So what I'd say is that, that certainly the pandemic has taken a, a toll on us. We all know that. But as I've said before in other conversations with you, that the toll is not spread equally across everyone, even among those people who, who were not actually infected, um, uh, because depending on what kind of work you did, uh, depending on your lifestyle, depending on your relationships, um, your socioeconomic status, even your race, just your getting through this pandemic would affect you differently, depending on all those different factors. So as I said before, we've all been in the same ocean, but all in different boats. And some of us are going through this ocean in a yacht, and some of us have a little dinghy that just barely floats. So different people have been experiencing different effects from the pandemic. As we're coming out of this, I think one of the things that I'm seeing is that there's a, a lot of pent up interest and motivation to get outside and do things again. People want to get back out and go outside and they want to go to restaurants and they want to be around other people. You know, humans are social creatures. We're really hardwired to, to, to want to interact with other people. Not everyone is as social as everybody else. That's true. Some people are more introverted than others. That's, that's fine. But, but as a species, we are a social uh, organism. And, and being so socially isolated, as many of us have been, is really hard on us mentally. Um, and, and so uh, I think there, there, this, this desire to uh, uh, reconnect, uh, to meet up with people, to socialize, to get out again, uh, is very understandable and, and very healthy. Um, coming along with that, though, may come some um, confusion. Um, uh, uh, in, in, in a sense, we're, we're all kind of foggy uh, because if, if we've been living our life in, in, a, in a really different way, like, you know, really trying to, to, to avoid social contact when it's not necessary, staying away from family members, uh, maybe working from home, uh, we may want to get back out and doing things, but it may feel weird. And, and that weirdness may, may manifest in, 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 in concerns that people have, like, is it safe? Is, is it really safe? Are you sure it's safe? Are we comfortable taking masks off? Is it really okay now? Um, you know, yes, whatever the, the, the scientists are saying is, is fine, but, but do, do we feel safe? Um, there may be those kinds of concerns. Uh, there may be concerns about what do we what do we do now that we're we're allowed to do things? Uh, how, how do we go about 
uh, going to restaurants again? Do, should we should we just act like nothing changed? Should we do something differently? Do we even remember how to like have how to throw a party anymore? Um, I, I think there's there's going to be some awkwardness that that people experience for some time as we transition out of this pandemic, just as there was a lot of awkwardness that we felt when we were moving into it. Um, people had all kinds of questions and concerns and weren't sure what to do and how to do it. And, um, and over time, over months, we did adjust because humans are really good at that. We, we can adjust to just about anything, um, but it does take time. And that'll be the case here, too. You know, over, over the next several months, assuming that uh, the pandemic doesn't become much worse again, then probably what we'll see is a gradual uh, uh, adjustment to the new experience. But um, there are specific kinds of long-haul symptoms that I think you're also getting at um, that are specific to um, uh, people who have been sick. And would you like me to talk a little bit about that? Yes, that would be great. Please do. Thank you. That's the next piece of this question. Sure. So we've known for a long time that uh, uh, COVID, the virus, uh, can cross the, the blood-brain barrier and, and get into the brain. So just to back up a second, uh, your brain is a very protected part of your body uh, because it, it's so important and so delicate. Um, it needs to be very insulated from the rest of the body, more so than, than other organs. So it has around it a variety of mechanisms, a variety of layers and barriers that help to keep um, stuff out of the brain that shouldn't be there. Um, that might include uh, uh, viruses and bacteria. It could include toxins or even drugs. Um, and and so uh, we've known for a long time that, that the virus is capable of, of, of getting into the brain, um, which some viruses and bacteria and other substances can. Um, and and when they do that, then you can expect that there's there, there's likely to be some some cognitive uh, uh, impacts from that, either as a direct uh, result of of the virus and the impact that it's having on the brain, or as a result of the immune system and how it responds to the virus in the brain. So, um, as the body tries to get rid of the virus, it creates an immune response. And that immune response, while it may be effective at uh, eliminating a virus, it may also have unintended consequences and may cause damage to uh, healthy tissue within the body. And so what we've uh, uh, also known uh, is that people who, uh, uh, who have had COVID and recovered from it, uh, we've known this for a number of months now, that that maybe roughly, we don't know exactly how many people, but, you know, we're estimating roughly around maybe 10% or so uh, of, of adults who have had uh, COVID may have these long-term um, symptoms, some of which may be more, more seem more uh, uh, medical, like uh, uh, difficulty with uh, smelling, uh, their sense of smell, or, or with vision problems. Uh, uh, but they also may be including other slightly more more neurological symptoms like um, headaches, um, and a lot of people complain of problems like fatigue, and and, and a phenomenon that a lot of people describe as as brain fog, um, which is sort of a, a sense that you know you you just can't think quite as well as you used to, uh, you, you feel kind of cloudy, uh, like you can't focus as well. 
Um, and uh, and that's that's a phenomenon that foggy feeling uh, that's not unique to to, to COVID survivors. Uh, that can occur in a, in a range of conditions. Uh, we we see that a lot um, in other kinds of viruses, such as people who have had uh, chronic Lyme disease, for example. Um, we also see it as, as a reaction to, uh, for example, certain kinds of cancer treatments. Um, it can happen as a result of head injuries. There, there are a lot of things that can cause it. Um, it's, a, it's sort of a nonspecific kind of, of finding that doesn't necessarily tell you anything specifically about what's wrong in the brain. Um, it, it may be a consequence of inflammation in the brain. That's one of the theories right now, that there is still some lingering inflammation uh, in the brain um, uh, that just isn't going away, and that inflammation is affecting how the brain works. It may be that there is still some virus that remains in the brain, um, even after you feel better and, and you test negative, um, because viruses can hide out in, um, in far reaches of the body. Uh, uh, we've known this for a long time. And again, the brain is a very protected area. So once something gets into it, sometimes it can be hard to get it out of there. And, um, uh, and that may be the case that there's some, some virus left over. Uh, we, we don't exactly know what causes these uh, uh, long-term uh, symptoms of, of COVID. Um, and we also don't know what the prognosis is. Uh, some people may get over that relatively quickly within uh, weeks uh, to longer term uh, months. We may find, I wouldn't be surprised if um, for some small percentage of people, these symptoms are permanent. Um, that would not surprise me. Um, so uh, it's something that, that people need to be aware of. Uh, again, it occurs in a relatively small percentage of people. Um, so we, we shouldn't worry too much about it. And it's also important not to, 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 to panic for another reason, which is that um, we can, human beings are, are, are capable of generating our, our own symptoms. Uh, and in, in, in psychology, we call that somaticizing. Um, uh, so, for example, if, if I become sick with COVID, and um, and I feel really down, and I've heard about this long-term COVID thing, and as, I, as I'm recovering, I'm really worried about, about having the long-term effects. I might really focus on how well I can think and focus and pay attention and all that stuff. And I might be so stressed at the fear that I'm going to have permanent brain damage as a result of this virus that I may work myself up into such a state that it actually does start to affect my thinking, <laughs> that I start to have difficulty concentrating and focusing. Um, and it may not be because of, of, a, of a genuine medical condition. It just may be because psychologically I, I am under a lot of stress and, and I've almost created this symptom in myself. Um, we also worry about some people who, who have predisposed uh, 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 characteristics like they may have a history of depression um, and people with a, a, a history of significant mental health problems like depression clinical depression I, mean, I don't just mean feeling kind of down but every once in a while which is common to everybody but clinical depression people with clinical depression um, seem to be more at risk for some of these symptoms than than people who are not and is that because of, of, of how COVID affects uh, a depressed person's brain differently, or is it because a depressed person 
uh, already maybe experiencing some difficulties with thinking and fogginess because that's a symptom of depression. Um, and and so our, our, when a person complains of that, is it is it really a symptom of COVID or is it just a, 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 an un, a, 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 are we confusing it with a symptom of, of depression or some other mental health problem? That's also something to try to tease apart. So it's all very complicated, and we're still learning a lot about it. I was just going to say, it sounds like you're, you, the way you answer some of these questions today significantly different than a year ago. You've had more patients, more times, more study, more reading. The nation has had more of all of the above, and so we know a lot more today. At this time last year, I asked you if some of the post-COVID symptoms were similar to PTSD, and uh, I don't recall the precise answer, but what's that answer today? It's going to vary a lot uh, because uh, so much may depend on on what how a person has experienced COVID, as well as some of the the characteristics of of the person um, themselves. So, so uh, was this a person who who generally dealt well with stressors and had a lot of resources before they got sick or before uh, they went into lockdown, before they lost their job, or were they struggling in a lot of ways? Um, before they they got sick and, and before they lost their job, um, that may have a big impact on on the long term ramifications of this. Um, certainly, I think that um, there is a lot about this pandemic that can be traumatic, um, and we've probably talked about this last time too. Some of the some of the uh, uh, the changes in people's lives. Uh, we've talked about losing your job. Uh, your spouse uh, uh, not being able to uh, uh, maybe uh, to work. Uh, uh, no one, the kids can't go to school. They're at home, uh, and and so who takes care of the kids? Uh, can, this all can create enormous amounts of stress. Um, add on top of that, uh, maybe you actually you do get sick, and uh, or maybe you know someone who who gets really sick or even dies. Um, that's of course potentially traumatic. Um, uh, stressors on top of stressors on top of stressors uh, can become traumatic even if no single stressor is really all that bad. Uh, Cumulatively, as they pile on top of each other over time, that can become a a kind of trauma for sure. Um, But certainly there can also be these acute single uh, uh, episodes like someone dying um, or becoming seriously ill uh, to the point of nearly dying. That can be traumatic for people, for sure. Um, now, whether that's the same as PTSD or not is, uh, is another question. PTSD, a lot of people don't understand this, um, and I try to educate people whenever I can, that, that a lot of the diagnoses, well, all the diagnoses that we have in, in the manual have a specific set of, of criteria that you have to meet in order to, to qualify for that diagnosis. And PTSD is uh, like any other diagnosis. It has a lot of very specific criteria that um, most people are not going to meet um, uh, under most circumstances. Um, it's a very severe kind of trauma and, and it has a very particular kind of uh, profile of symptoms. But that is not as a way of minimizing the, the impacts that these stressors have on people. Um, if, if, it, if something is traumatic, that's all that matters. 
uh, whether we call it PTSD or not, is, is less important from my perspective. If someone has experienced a trauma, um, then, then that person is probably going to need some support. Now, most people can recover from trauma relatively uh, well over time. Um, as I said before, humans are very resilient and adaptable, and even when they experience traumas, they will learn to um, bounce back from them, usually on the order of weeks to months um, is what we typically see. But uh, a subset of people will struggle much longer than that, and uh, it may go on for years. Um, what we know is that um, if, if a person is suffering from trauma symptoms for longer than a few months, then they are at risk, at higher risk for having very long-term uh, uh, symptoms that may last for years, which is why if you're a person who's experiencing symptoms of trauma um, uh, for uh, going on several months, you know, maybe uh, four or five, six months, then uh, if you don't feel like you're getting much better, then you should definitely be trying to uh, connect with a mental health professional um, who has experience working with trauma because uh, that may save you a lot of, of suffering in the long run. There are a lot of tools that we have to help people with uh, trauma symptoms, and uh, the sooner that you get them addressed, um, the better your prognosis. Is there a behavior or a mental health uh, implication associated with the vaccination discussion. Yeah, we have a lot of vaccination hesitant people, and so that might be a factor in this. Are you monitoring and uh, perhaps talking about the mental health implications of the vaccinations? Well, I don't, you know, and and, and so correct me if I'm if I'm misinterpreting you. Um, I, I guess I I'm. I'm, I'm hesitant to suggest that that whether a person you know wants to be vaccinated or doesn't want to be vaccinated has to do with their their own mental health. Um, there are a lot of reasons why people make uh, different health decisions for themselves that that have nothing to do with with their mental health uh, or, or mental illness. Um, uh, certainly, though, uh, there may be some uh, overlap. Uh, in certain situations. So, for example, you might be a person who's uh, uh, very anxious, uh, uh, tends to be prone to anxiety. Um, th that may uh, lead you to make uh, uh, different health decisions um, in both directions. Uh, as a highly anxious person, you may say to yourself, you know, I'm, I am terrified of, of getting a, a serious virus like COVID, I want that vaccine right away, and I see that the research shows me that it is safe and effective. Uh, get that to me as fast as possible. Or you may have other people who are very anxious and wind up processing it the exact opposite way. Um, they they say to themselves, you know what? No, you know I I'm I, I'm okay. I'm doing okay. I don't want to take a risk um, to take a vaccine that's only been around for a few months. Um, I don't care what the scientists say. I don't care what anyone else says. Um, it makes it feel scary to me, and I avoid things that feel scary, and so I'm not going to, to get the vaccine. So there may be some overlap, but, but mental health problems doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a hesitant or a more accepting person. It could cut either direction. 
And is there anxiety associated with vaccination? What aspect of the vaccination process of the nation are you most interested in? Well, and certainly as, as psychologists, we're very interested in, as, as, a, as a profession, um, we're, we're very interested in, in monitoring uh, what, are, what are people's opinions about the vaccine, how do they change over time, and, in resp- and how do those opinions change in response to what inputs, right? So, um, so social psychologists right now are doing all kinds of research, um, trying to understand um, what leads people to want to, to get vaccinated, what leads people to not want to be vaccinated, um, what uh, uh, health, public health policy uh, uh, initiatives seem to be more effective than others. So for just as an example, one of the things that we're learning is that um, uh, celebrity endorsements of vaccines don't seem to have much of an impact uh, on motivating people to become vaccinated. Um, that's that's a, a, it's something that's intuitive for a lot of people. They think that if, if celebrities model uh, getting vaccinated or politicians, uh, other famous people, that that will uh, uh, persuade people. And it's not a crazy idea. There's, there's some science that would uh, uh, suggest that, that that's likely to be the, the case. But what we're finding is that certainly in the case of COVID, that that doesn't seem to, to be making as much of a difference with people. And that may have to do with um, with other aspects of the psychology of this. Um, uh, the, the vaccine, is, uh, as, as, as you know, uh, as has been widely discussed, um, it is no longer just a, a question of what does the science say? Is it safe or isn't it safe? It has become a, um, an issue of, of group identity, okay? Um, and group identity, uh, that, that topic, that, that is so important in understanding human psychology. Um, what groups do we identify with? Um, that, that plays a big role in determining decisions that we make. And, and because the vaccine has become linked to group identity, um, it's, ne- it's not just a question of should I get the vaccine because it's safe or not. It's a, it's a question of what kind of a person am I? What's my group? Who are the people who I listen to, who, who, uh, who I trust, right? And, and so celebrities and politicians, if they're not in your group, then what they do and what they say may not have much of an impact on you. Finally, are more people seeing counselors these days? Um, I don't have any data on that. Um, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't know for certain. I can tell you anecdotally um, that from other colleagues, uh, uh, some colleagues, of mine have said you know they've never been busier than during the pandemic but then i also know colleagues who have seen a real drop in the number of patients that that they've seen um uh and i can't necessarily explain what makes the difference (laughs) um uh but uh one of the things that we have learned uh is that uh uh, you know we had we did have a, a a real concern early on that the stress of covid may lead to a spike in um, uh, serious behaviors like domestic violence and suicide. We have some the newer data that's suggesting that suicide rates overall have actually gone down during the pandemic, um, which we were not actually expecting. Um, but that doesn't mean that, uh, um, that the pandemic hasn't had 
serious negative uh, mental health consequences. They just may be manifesting in other ways other than than it's suicide. Um, so it's something that we are going to be continuing to study as psychologists and paying attention to for decades, I'm sure.